seat. As you do, take your Bible out. Let's go to Mark chapter 4 this morning. Mark chapter 4. We're going to cover verses 1 through 20, a little bit uh, longer passage than what we normally cover through the gospel. Um, And yet I think you'll see why, because all of this, uh, really verses 1 through 20, kind of tell one story, or they, they, they cover one parable, and then then the explanation of, of that parable. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to look at the, the parable of the sower and the seed, one that may be familiar to you. Now, so far in the gospel, we've seen Jesus in conflict with religious leaders. We've seen him healed, crippled. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him teach large, large crowds. And today, we come to, to maybe the largest crowd that Jesus has taught yet in the gospel. What we're going to see is such a large crowd presses in on him that he actually goes out in a boat in the Sea of Galilee and begins to teach. And is relying kind of on the, on the water, his words bouncing off the water to reach everybody. He had to, he had to get out in this, in this boat on the sea to, to teach. And he teaches about spreading the seed of the word of God. He's going to give us essentially a lesson in evangelism through a, through a parable. Now what we'll see really from here on out is, is parables are Jesus' favorite way of teaching in the Gospels. A parable is a story with a point. And in Jesus' case, the, the parables are stories that convey a truth about the kingdom of God. Before we dive into the passage this morning, let me give you kind of the big idea. So if you're taking notes, here you go. Here, here's the big idea we're going to be looking at. The gospel is good news for everyone, and it should be shared with everyone, even though it will not be received by everyone. Okay, it's good news for everyone. It should be shared with everyone because it's good news for everyone, and yet it will not be received by everyone. That's where we're headed this morning. So if you will, and if you're able, stand with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. I know it's a little bit longer passage, uh, but let's, if you are able, let's stand and honor the word of the Lord this morning. The word of the Lord says this, and he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. While the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns The thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. He answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you to those outside, uh, but to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive, they may indeed listen, and yet not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to him, don't you understand this parable? 
How then will you understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for... Again, for the chance to, for us to gather together to open up your word. I pray you'd speak mightily through your word this morning. Will you show us the opportunities that we have every single day to sow the word of the gospel? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, as I said, we're told he began to teach by the sea. A large crowd gathered around him. So he got on the boat, went out to, to the sea where he could see everybody, where, where they could hear him. And then he sat down. Now, now this is a difference in first century culture versus our own. So, so typically, in today's culture, when someone uh, comes to teach, they stand up. In, in Jesus' day, it would have been just the opposite. The, the teacher would have sat down, and that would have kind of signaled to everyone that that it was time to, to quiet down and listen. So he's out on the boat, crowds on the seashore. We're told he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said, to, he said this to them. Listen, consider the sower he went out to sow. And then he gives us all these different areas where, the, where this farmer, this sower threw seed. And simply what, what Jesus is trying to communicate to us, as we see in the, in the application section, is this. We, we are to sow the seed of the gospel everywhere. He already tells us, right, the, the seed is the word of God. We're told that the sower just went out and started scattering it indiscriminately. Now, now, now Jesus is here not giving farming advice, okay? But rather, he is, he's using an illustration that, that, that an agricultural people would have understood. So typically what would happen in, in, in first century Jewish culture, that when somebody went out to sow seed, they would have seed just kind of in a big apron, and they would just throw it. They'd just throw it. It fell all over the place. We, we do things a little bit differently in 21st century United States because we have big farming equipment. In fact, right now, as, as we speak, and where I grew up in West Texas, uh, cotton's being planted in the ground with using machines that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and making sure the soil is prepped just right. And in Jesus' day, they obviously didn't have the, the machinery that we have. They would, just, they would just throw the seed out. And then they would go back and, and rake it over, trying to, trying to cover it with, with dirt and help it help it to grow. 
we see the, the sower just going out and casting seed where, wherever it went. And we see it fell in, in some different places. Some seed fell along the path where it really had no, no chance to grow. If you've ever seen a, maybe you've been on a hiking trail that's been worn down, no, nothing grows on that. The soil's been compacted. Well, whatever life was there has been trampled out and it, it, the seed's not going to break through. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched because it didn't have a root system that could support it and it was you know, withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. But other seed, he said, fell among good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. You know, if you ever planted something, it's amazing what comes up out of a little seed, isn't it? It's amazing how, how much a, a little watermelon seed can grow into a vine that produces multiple watermelons. It's incredible. But notice that here, at least in Jesus' parable, of, of all the seed that was cast out, really only a, a quarter of it produced fruit. We'll, we'll get to the application and what, exactly what Jesus was saying about that in a moment. But here we see the, the farmer just scattering seed out wherever it goes. And then, oddly enough, in in verse 10, we have kind of this aside in the middle of this, of this parable, and instead of immediately telling us what, this, what, what the point of all this is, the, Mark inserts this, and he says, when he was alone, so he just finished teaching, and those around him with the 12, so this would have been the, certainly the 12 disciples, but as, uh, some, other, some other followers of Jesus as well who've, who've come in and and apparently they're really just scratching their head and they're asking him about parables. Why, why do you tell stories? Why don't you just teach us? Why, why, why are you telling all these stories? We're walking away going, what, what on earth did he just say? And this is how Jesus answered them. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you but to those outside, everything comes in parables. In other words, Jesus is saying here, he's telling his disciples, listen, I, I'm teaching in these stories that convey a spiritual truth. And these are things that are spiritually discerned. So that they may be given to you that, that you, might, that you might come to know, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look and not yet perceive, they may indeed listen and not yet understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Now, now that's a direct quote out of the book of Isaiah. Is, is Jesus really saying here, I'm teaching in parables so that, so that people won't understand? No, I, I, I don't think so. But I think what he is saying is, there is a secret to the ways of God that is only found by those inside the kingdom of God. There's truth 
that's only available to those inside the kingdom of God. We see Paul talking about the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians when he says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So in other words, when, when, when someone who's not a follower of Christ reads the Bible, you often hear, that didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I have a friend named John, and that's what he said. He said, I read the Bible as a kid growing up, and, and, and it wouldn't make any sense. So then, then someday, one day somebody shared the gospel with me, and, and, and it wasn't that I hadn't heard it before, but for some reason that day it clicked, and I came to know Jesus. And I love the way he puts this. He said, then I started reading the Bible, and it started talking back to me. He said, suddenly this, this book that didn't make any sense was making sense to me. Understand this, believers, we, we have to respond to the gospel ourselves. Not just a one-time thing where I, you know, walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, got in the baptism tank, and all was well and good. Listen, we still have to respond to the gospel. Never, never met anybody that, that would say they were without sin, right? And if so, we, we, if, if that's you, if that's what you think, we need to talk, Okay. In fact, Jesus is, is, is here actually rebuking the disciples' hardness of their hearts. He, because he tells them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And yet you're, you're coming to me asking me what these things mean. You're still not getting them. Followers of Christ are not immune to hardening our hearts against the gospel. So Jesus is basically telling his disciples, listen, I'm, I'm speaking these, these in parables. I'm telling these stories that you should be able to understand what he's saying. Now, what does that mean for us, especially when there's still debates about the meaning of certain parables? Well, what exactly did Jesus mean about? And, and like, who exactly, did, when it says it fell among rocky soil, who exactly is that referring to? I think sometimes we try to dive a little bit too deep into these things, but, but just keep in mind what I said at the beginning. They, they convey a truth about the kingdom of God. So again, Jesus' story about the, the sower and the seeds wasn't him trying to give farming advice. It was, it was him using an earthly illustration about the kingdom. And Matthew includes a, a quote here that, that Mark doesn't. I find this really interesting, Matthew 13, 12. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And he will never have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Now, in, in the context of this parable, where the, where the disciples come to Jesus and ask, Jesus, what did you mean by telling that story about seed? We're, we're so confused. And Jesus tells them, listen, I'm, I'm telling you something about the kingdom of God. And whoever has, in other words, in this case, whoever has the the Spirit of God within him, whoever has this spiritual knowledge, more will be given. You'll never, you'll never have enough. You're never going to plumb the depths of the truths of the gospel as a follower of Christ. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Even, so for those who would reject Christ, even what knowledge they may have about who God is, will be taken away because they're hardening their heart against the truth. 
Now, here's the kicker, okay? So we've seen we're, we're to share the gospel with everyone. We're to respond to the gospel ourselves. Make sure we're not hardening our hearts against the, these magnificent truths of the gospel. But diving deeper and deeper into them, that we might know the heart of God, that we might live in a godly way. We might respond to the mercy that he's shown to us. But here's maybe the hardest thing for us to swallow when it comes to being obedient to share the gospel. And that is this. We have no control over the hearer's receptivity to the gospel. No control. Jesus takes us back to the parable in verse in verse. 13, he says, then he said to him, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? He explains this in explicit detail. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. In other words, these are are folks, and maybe you've had this experience They hear the truth of the gospel and immediately they say, I don't want any part of that. None whatsoever. See, sometimes the seed of the gospel falls on hardened hearts. Verse 16, he said, others are like the seed, uh, excuse me, sorry, back in... uh, um, Yeah, 16. Others are like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Sometimes the seed falls on shallow hearts. Hearts that, again, maybe you can think of someone that you've experienced like this, that will immediately respond and jump all in, and then almost immediately fall away. The minute something goes wrong, well, listen, I, I, I trusted in Jesus, and this still happened. I still lost my job. I trusted in Jesus, and and then everything started going wrong in my life. It must not be real. Eighteen others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Sometimes the seed of the gospel falls on distracted hearts. Hearts that will treat Jesus almost like a fad. You think back through some movements in our culture when maybe that happened. Uh, I was in high school when the WWJD movement hit. If you remember that, everybody wearing WWJD bracelets asking what would Jesus do. And, uh, it came in really quick and it went out almost as quick wasn't the thing anymore. Maybe you've known some folks that have followed Christ until something else came along that got their attention. In fact, I like the the question that Charles Spurgeon asked about this. He said, how can there be room for Christ in the inn when it is crowded with other guests? 
Now, this is a call for, for us to check our hearts, right? What are, what are the other things we allow in that, that, that could crowd out Christ's place in my life? Certainly, none of us is immune to this, and, 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 and in a very real sense, this addresses the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. None of us passed that test, by the way. So if you're like using the Ten Commandments as your, as your test of whether or not you're a good person, nobody gets past the first one, right? You shall have no other gods before me. Oops. We all have things that have at one time or another creeped in and taken the place that only Christ should have. Yet the danger is when we don't repent of that. Can things come to the point where they crowd him out completely? Now, the question might come, well, okay, what do we do with these first three? Would, would, would these... Would anyone in the first three be a true, genuine follower of Christ? I think we could say the first one, no, the, the hardened hearts where they, they immediately reject the truth of the gospel. But what about, what do we do with the other two? The, the shallow hearts, the distracted hearts, and those that, at least in the parable, eventually fall away. And, and how do we reconcile that with a Baptist belief, a pretty foundational Baptist belief that uh, we would call the perseverance of the saints, or otherwise, once saved, always saved. In other words, if, if salvation is a gift from God, it can't be taken away. So what do we do with people that seem to walk away? First of all, if you figure that out, you could write a book and sell a whole lot of, uh, sell a whole lot of copies, make a whole lot of money. If you, if you could nail down exactly how to wrestle with that. I, I kind of live in, in a tension between two realities, okay? First is... The reality where Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Someone who's a follower of Christ will exhibit that fruit in their life. So, so for someone who claims that they had, a, they had an experience where they chose to follow after Christ and they've exhibited absolutely no fruit whatsoever, what do we do with that? Sooner or later, an orange tree produces oranges. So that's one side of it. The second side of it and this is why I say we, we, I live in this tension. Second side of it is I never am, am really able to judge the heart of someone else. Right? We can judge outside actions. We can't judge the heart of people. So, so I would be very cautious about just going up to someone who claims to be a follower of Christ and doesn't exhibit any fruit and say, you're not saved. What I think we can do if we have the if you've earned the right to speak into someone's life, as you can say, uh, I know you claim to be a follower of Christ. But here's what I see out of your life. And the two don't line up. Let's talk. Now, now you can see why I would say you've got to earn the right to speak into somebody's life that way, right? You've got to, you've got to spend time building that relationship to come to the point where you can say, there's some things that don't line up. Let's have a talk. But finally, praise God, Jesus doesn't stop there, right? He gets to the end and he says, and those, in verse 20, and those like seed sown on good ground 
Hear the word. Welcome it. Produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Sometimes the seed will fall on fertile hearts. Now, what do we do with all this? Does this mean that when I share the gospel, I'll I'll only get a positive response like 25% of the time? Well, maybe. And actually, at least in my experience, the, the, the positive response rate is probably less than that, where somebody actually comes in and says, yes, I'm ready to accept Christ. Well, well then what's the point? Well, on one hand, the point is obedience to share the gospel, right? If our, if our hearts are, are, are being continually affected by the gospel, then we're called to, to share that. But you're also never responsible for someone else's response to the message. Right? As I said at the, that last point there, you have no control over someone's response. Well, certainly the farmer can prepare the ground, can work to make sure the environment is good. But in the end, he has very little control over how the crop grows. As I shared right now in, in West Texas, Thousands of farmers are planting cotton. They'll do their best to keep the weeds away over the summer. They've prepped the ground and made sure the soil's ready. Many even have an irrigation system to to water the ground. But at the end of the day, they go home and they have no control over whether or not those seeds sprout and grow. We can do a lot to prepare the hearts of hearers. We can listen to concerns. We can answer questions. We can continue to love on them. We can continue to share the the truth of the gospel. But folks, we have no power to save anyone. That power belongs to God alone. I uh, once heard, it's been several years, and so I don't know if this is still accurate. I don't know where they come up with this number, but... I read a study once that said it takes, on average, someone hearing the gospel 14 times before they respond. Now, we know that God can save anyone at any time. Whether they're hearing the gospel for the first time or the 200th. So so the point is not whether or not we're able to close the sale, right? Right? We're not selling them a bill of goods. I hope you don't have like a mark at the end of the day. Well, I won this many people to Jesus today. No, I would encourage you to not do that. The point's not not to close the sale, but the question is, are we obedient? And are you, am I, okay with maybe being the sixth or seventh person to share? And they're still asking questions. They're not ready to cross that line of faith yet? Are we, are we willing to scatter the seed of the gospel wherever it may fall? Paul has a really helpful analogy here, really helpful command in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where, where he's writing to the Corinthians and, and he planted the church and then a man by the name of Apollos came along and 
and continued it. And, and what you had was really this kind of clash of, of leadership styles and maybe clash of personalities. I know you, that would never happen in the real world, but at least in, in Paul's case it did. And, and so you had people in the, in the Corinthian church saying, well, you know, I, I really like Paul more. I preferred his, uh, the, the way that he worked uh, with us. And you have others who say, well, well I, really, I really like the way Apollos leads, and, and I think he should, he, he should be the one to lead us. And, and these people kind of splitting and, and creating this faction over, over who they were going to follow. And, and Paul writes them back and just says this, who is, what, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I love this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. Look here. You are God's Field, God's building. Talking about Paul that planted a seed and Apollos who came in and watered it and nurtured it. But he, look, he doesn't, Paul doesn't take credit for what he did. He doesn't give a credit to what Apollos did. He said God gave the growth. Listen, let us be obedient as followers of Christ. To share the truth of the gospel. Share it with anyone that we come in contact with. And listen, I'm just willing to bet that right now in our culture, we're going to have some opportunities to share the gospel. As we saw in the announcement time, right? The gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. You might be surprised at the opportunities that you have to speak into something. Somebody standing in line and, you know, you get up next to somebody who just can't help themselves, they're going to strike up a conversation with you. What do you think about what's happening in our culture right now? Is that not a prime opportunity to share the gospel? Maybe somebody's in Walmart and they're saying, you know, it's so, so good to be out. I haven't, you know, I haven't been out and been around anybody in two and a half months. That's so great. I'm so glad that I get to be the one standing next to you. To share a little bit of the hope of the gospel. How's it going to fall? Only one way to find out. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, or you're watching us online and you've, you've never come to that place where you've trusted in Christ Jesus. I'd love to share with you how you can do that. It's a real simple prayer. My life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Oh, may we not harden our heart against that truth. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing the truth of the gospel for the first time, that, that there's a God who loves you deeply. I urge you to soften your heart today. If you're watching us online, or even, even if you're here, there's a phone number that's up on the screen. You can text that. That, that comes as a number that we've set up to, to receive um, calls and voicemails, especially over the last couple of months in, in social distancing. 
You can text that number and somebody will get back in touch with you this week and tell you how you can respond to the truth of the gospel. But folks who are believers, let us, first of all, not harden our hearts against God. Let us not harden our hearts when, when we see a world in chaos. Because Jesus told us we, we would have trouble in this world. Remember that? You, you'll have trouble in the world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our hope's not in this life. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. And there are people right now who are hurting, who are asking all kinds of questions over COVID and, and over the, the racial tensions that we see. And could it just be that they're looking for some hope? They're crying out for some peace. And listen, we, we know the answer to that. So let's share it. We'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to gather and to lift high your name. I thank you for the, the high privilege that you've called us to, to share the message of the gospel. You know, so often we worry about having the right words or about having just the, the, the right presentation down. And I pray you would take away those fears and Remind us that we have opportunities to just sow seeds of hope, sow seeds of peace, sow seeds of love by telling others about the hope that we have in you. I pray we wouldn't feel pressure to close the sale or to, to force anybody into any kind of decision, but that we would just trust that as, as the hope of the gospel is shared, You would soften hearts and change lives in a way that only you can. As we're obedient to do what you've called us to do, you will fulfill the promises that you said you would do. Thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done for us. It's been in Christ Jesus. Christ, all these things in his precious name. Amen.